The old saying goes that everyone has at least one book in them, and the same can be said for many entrepreneurs. Our next guest is Joanna Godoyne, who is not a stranger to the Cashflow Show, as she appeared on episode 4 of the show in 2019. Joanna has now published her new book entitled Getting On, Making Work Work. And if you would like to know how she did it, what it's about, and how you might benefit from reading it, then join us after the introduction. Hello and welcome. I'm Clayton M. Koch, and I'm also the host for The Cashflow Show, the radio show that's disguised in the shape of a podcast, but with so much more. Every week, we'll be interviewing someone inspiring from the business world and finding out how they started in business, what their trials and tribulations were, and how they intend to grow their business in the future. We will also be finding out about what they do in their spare time, as well as asking them to pick a book, a film, and a favorite single or album, and to share their reasons for doing so. So why not join us at The Cashflow Show? It's not just a radio show, it's a whole new way of doing business. Welcome back to The Cashflow Show, Joanna. Thank you very much, Clayton. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. You're most welcome. You're most welcome. Well, first of all, congratulations on your new book, Getting On, Making Work Work. You've achieved a feat that many of us dream of. And proof of concept, I'm holding a copy and it looks great. It's really good. You've got a copy. Thank you for buying it. <laughs> and the uh, the cover took about 12 iterations. So um, I think the publisher got a bit sick of me, but I think it was worth it. It was because it looks great. It does look great. And it's very difficult with book covers because I've seen people on LinkedIn and they stick up three or four book covers and thinking, what do you think is the best one? And it's very, very subjective. Yeah, it definitely is. And when I was really stuck, I... um talked to a colleague of mine who was publishing a book with the same publisher at the same time actually and that was her suggestion but I thought my goodness I've already asked quite a few friends you know close colleagues and got loads of different responses if I do that I'm going to be even more confused. (laughs) Indeed indeed I've had the pleasure of getting my own copy of the book but can you tell the Cashflow crew what the book is about? Absolutely so some people may know me and many may not Uh, it's essentially to help people navigate their daily working lives much better. So to deal with all the challenges we come across that are usually related to other people. So those tricky relationships, managing upwards, managing a team, dealing with clients, and also to help people in the longer term progress their careers. Because many of the skills I talk about and uh, activities you need to be doing, most people say, oh, yes, I have heard about that before, but they actually haven't done anything about it. And there's really key, tangible, practical advice to help people take the steps they need to make sure they're gaining the visibility they need, building the skill sets they need to get the move forward in their career, whatever that may be, whether it's to move to a job in a different organisation, to get a promotion internally, maybe it's to make a lateral move within a business as well. So it's not necessarily always upwards. Sometimes people need to take a step laterally to progress. So who would benefit most from the book? A good question and one that my publisher has interrogated me on a lot. I have in this book that people who are middle to senior level 
in fact. So uh, I do a lot of work, particularly with law firms, accountancy practices, um, actuaries, and also those people as individuals as well. My typical client base is middle to senior level, particularly for individuals. So people that have had great careers, they're very bright, very technical. They've been in a profession usually for a number of years, but then they've hit a barrier. So it's they're struggling with a difficult relationship at work and they're not able to progress. So the book is aimed at those people that haven't worked on those skills and now need to realise they need to. But saying that, there are younger, less experienced people who are very ambitious, who are very keen on my book as well as a secondary audience. So for instance, I went and spoke at Cambridge University last night, a women in business group for a range of female students from across the colleges there and sold some copies of my book because they were particularly keen. They enjoyed my talk and then bought my book afterwards. But I would say the main target audience is people that have got quite a bit of experience at work. They almost want to think, right, what's next to help me do my job better, to make my life easier and more fulfilling day to day, as well as progress in the long term. That's great. One of the key features of the book and that I found very interesting. It's one book, but it's one of three parts. Is there a reason for that? Yes, there is. It it might be quite, um, it's quite a funny anecdote to tell you how I came up with the structure of the book. So I was somebody, those that know me might be quite surprised that I am pretty organised, but I actually at university, I never planned my essays. I just started writing. Now, clearly you can't do that with a book. And when I told my book coach and book group that this is what I used to do, appreciating I couldn't do it with the book. They did say, yeah, that, that's not really doable. And the book coach shared various ideas for how you could think about the structure, how to plan it. And there were lots of different people in this book coaching group. I decided, for me, I'm a bit of an all or nothing person, that if I was going to plan it, I was really going to plan it. So what I did was I got a spreadsheet and I put each on each row, I put a different piece of advice or guidance that I'd given clients. So to do this, I went through all my workshops. I went through all my client notes, thought about all the topics that I cover in my blogs. I speak about literally line by line. And then I, I can't remember how many rows I've had now, several hundred. <laughs> and then I, yeah, it was it was a big old spreadsheet. And then I looked at well, what's, what main topic did each of these pieces of guidance fall into and then what subtopic. And when I went back to my book group, they were a bit horrified. Everyone in the group was like, oh, my goodness, I haven't done this. Oh, no, I was like, don't. I'm, I'm just odd. This is my approach to doing it. But what that enabled me to do was to then group up topics together and quickly come to what chapters look like. And then from there... I developed three sections that you refer to, Clayton. So the first one is entitled, It All Starts With You. And this is all around getting people to think of what impact they have on other people, that we do form perceptions of others and them of us. And then going into the tools we have that impact others, so appearance, body language and voice. And the reason I did this was fundamentally, if we don't think about ourselves first and how we take ourselves into the workplace, how we show up, we can't be thinking about other people and how to deal with them. So I have quite a few clients come to me and say, I've got this problem with this person. You know, what can I do about them? Well, actually, you can't really do anything about them. You can't change them. You can only change how you are showing up with them, how you're interacting with them, how you're reacting, how you're approaching them proactively so I wanted part one to be about 
getting some self-awareness in there really and getting people to think oh okay how could people perceive me at work and um, the other element that is in part one is talking about managing your time and the reason that's there is with seniority increasing there's greater challenges for that you know you've got thought more things to manage if you take a junior lawyer for instance you know they're being given bits of client matters to do you know very specifically laid out um, depending on what area of law that is yeah as you get to be a more senior lawyer there's greater expectation you know you've got to supervise others help develop them you've got to bring in business you've got to manage client relationships there are more and different demands on your time so Fundamentally, that's only something you can manage. Uh, so that's why that's in there. And not only is it important to manage for the sake of your time, but also the perception that creates with others, because how you manage your time affects other people in the business you work in. So that's part one. And then part two is entitled The Relationships You Need. Mm -hmm. So this is the really juicy stuff around what makes great relationships, which relationships do you need to build at work? So there's the internal relationships and your immediate team, people you work with, which I call the obvious relationships. And then beyond that, there's the less obvious relationships. So the more strategic ones that might be people in other departments so that you feel like you can cross sell, you know, refer clients to one another within your company or firm, if that's relevant, if you're servicing clients externally, um, people that might be able to influence your career in the future, uh, that might make decisions about your promotions and what you get involved in. And then looking at um, building external relationships. So you and I, Clayton, know each other a long time since. And from some networking event, I can't even remember the first one I met you at. Exactly. That's many, um, many years, many years. Many years. And we've been to many since. So, yeah, the importance of doing that and how that not only matters for business development. People always think, oh, you only need a network if you're responsible for business development in your work which is absolutely not the case. There are loads of other reasons. So worth reading the book to find out about that. And importantly, in the book is all the skills. How do you navigate a networking event well? How do you build your network over time? And then there's some other challenges in there that get even more juicy around common people challenges. You know, how do we deal with difficulties at work? How do we navigate those? And um, what are great relationship skills that we all need to have? So that's you know, the core of the book. I always say in most of my workshops, we don't work on our own. We work interdependently with others and we need to be able to do that well. So part two is all about helping people to do that. And then the third and final part is professional scenarios. And this has two angles, really. It's helping people think about the skills they need in different scenarios, so such as online presence in meetings and presentations, day-to-day -day communication, because it's about more than the big events at work. It's the day-to-day -day small things that count as well. So helping to upskill people on that, as well as get people to think about them as opportunities. So to build relationships further, to increase their visibility at work. So many people, for example, hold back their careers by being unwilling to present or not looking for opportunities to present where that's if you can do that well, it's really, really valuable in mm -hmm. terms of career progression. And then there's a final chapter that's about when you're changing roles, you know, whether that's through choice or redundancy, how you need to show up in, the, in that marketplace. And um, so going through from CV, um, LinkedIn profile and job search strategy to the interviews and making sure you go for the right role. So um, it's a very broad book, but also very practical. And you've probably seen from reading the book that 
uh, I've created 19 resources to support it. Indeed. So they are all on my website. And my designer had a lot of fun doing those. <laughs> that is interesting because nowadays books are quite fluid. If you've written something on to the, the page, really circumstances and situations change. And it's not like you've got a ring binder where you can add addendums in order to, to deal with different situations that may arise. At least with the book, those resources are online for people to look at, for people to use in their, in their everyday endeavors. And that's really important because I think sometimes just being or reading the written page is okay for most people, but not always for everyone. So those examples that you put up there are fantastic uh, resource for everybody who wants to look at things slightly differently. Yeah, and to, and it's no good if people just read the book and I say this in workshops as well and go, oh, that yeah, that's good, that's nice, and then do nothing with it. You completely wasted your time. Indeed, indeed. When I went to speak last night, I think I said, you know, if you don't do anything as a result of what you've just heard in the last hour, you might as well have gone home and watched EastEnders. You know, I mean, what what's the point? You've had a nice evening, you've had a glass of prosecco, but <laughs> yeah, you've got much from it. So the resources are designed and I don't envisage that everyone will use every single resource. They'll probably cherry pick the ones that are most meaningful of to course. them, which is, is important. I, you know, I always say to people, don't try and work on loads of different behavioral changes and aspects at once. Focus on one to two, get them right, whether they're new habits and getting those to be more natural or whether they're specific tasks, work on them thoroughly and see some results so you feel more motivated. That's much better than trying to do 10 things and not doing any of them well and just feeling like you've wasted your time. So one thing I did notice, you cover everything from face-to-face -face presentation to online presence. So you've got something for the senior older members, but also for the younger audience insofar as you've given them a way to act and behave online that they may not necessarily know because in in my day when I was a dashing young blade you know we didn't have Instagram and Twitter and and I'm quite no. thankful for that because yeah um, um me dancing on the tables would probably have not been good for any prospective <laughs> employers but it happened but obviously unfortunately there were no mm -hmm. camera phones around yeah do you feel that for younger people that clear demarcation between work and private life is a lot smaller it definitely is and i think attitudes to that have changed at work we can now be far more ourselves than you could have been you know even when i started work actually 20 odd years ago uh, but certainly compared to 30, 40 years ago, when some of the older law firm partners and things started their careers, it's definitely changed. But people do still need to be careful because they need to think further down the line as well. What do they want out there about themselves? So I always do joke with people that you know, my photos from my holiday when I was 18 in Tenerife with a massive group of girls. Like a safely in dusty albums somewhere in someone's <laughs> cupboard. They're nowhere near the internet, um, whereas that's not the case for them. And, it, and what looks okay now might not when they're a lot more senior in 10, 15 years' time. So thinking about your online presence, uh, it's quite interesting. My um, dad, bless him, he's not a big reader, but he did. Um, he, I gave him a copy of my book and he did read it. I know he did because, A, he spotted a, um, an error that we needed to get corrected. But he, he amusingly said to me, he said, oh, I, you know, I put it all until about a a page 100, you know, made sense to me. You know, stuff I would have said to myself because he um he went from 
starting with Barclays at 18 and worked for them for 35 years and got to be ops director of a, a division there. Um, retired quite early in his 50s, which I always think was a bit of a shame. He said, yeah, it's stuff I used to say, but he said, oh, when you got into all this LinkedIn stuff, I didn't really know <laughs> what you were talking about. So he said, that was all new to me. And I had to, you know, think about that a bit more as I, I read it. And so I think you're right. There's, it's, I'm trying to bring together in the book all the skills people need now. Um, and I think there's a, a, an interesting thing I heard during last year, I think I went to do a day's session with law firm partners on managing and developing people. And it was great. It was a, a regional law firm and they managed to get 14, I think, or 16 partners in the room on one day, which is quite Ooh. you know, an achievement. And uh, they had they were talking about generational differences. And they said they found the younger generation, less experienced people, didn't use the phone as a phone. They use it for texting, messaging, video calls, but not as a phone. We agree there are still benefits to sometimes using the phone. It's a good alternative to an email. And if you don't want to go as far as a video call. And, and likewise, the partners admitted they weren't great at social media. So what they did was they arranged a skill swap. They had some sessions where the less experienced members of the firm spent time with the partners, teaching them a bit more about social media. And the partners taught them about phone, which mm. really people need teaching about the phone. But if it's just not something you've typically used as a phone and seen the benefits of doing that. So that was a really good example, I thought, of a skill swap. But my book is trying to bring together you know, the, all the skills people need in the environment now. Well, you'd be surprised because you make a good point in terms of skills about using the phone. Because I've had people trying to sell to me, you're all right, mate. Um, and I'm thinking, I'm your customer. At least yeah. have the decency. You know, obviously, you know, my background is in late payments and debt recovery. I don't bring up and say, oi, mate, you want you to pay up? Yeah. It, it doesn't work like that. That's mm. not how no. you conduct business. So the idea that you could have to teach people how to use the phone correctly, I think because people used the phone purely as a, as a social tool, for want of a better expression. And, and in doing so, they've become used to then dealing with that or dealing with business as if, as if it was a social situation. Mm. Or just the, the other extreme of either just going for email or a full-on video call. And sometimes the phone is an excellent in-between because sometimes people will share more on a call than they would put in writing on an email, and particularly if they're not being seen. And also you can focus on what someone's really saying and their voice rather than looking at the all-round image or um, worrying about tech issues. I, I still think the phone's really valuable, and particularly with people that you maybe know already, so you can imagine what they look like and imagine talking to them. Um, but just to give them a quick call, it, it's it's less intrusive than a video call. I and mean, I don't think many people would suddenly start doing a random video call with people without arranging it. So Correct. it has to be quite intentional unless it's, as you say, out of work and your friend, you might video call them, I guess. But not in work. You've either got to arrange that. So it feels like there's this sort of real split between those two extremes. And you know, we've gone on, to, on a real tangent about the phone, but I do think the phone's got a lot of uses so you know, making use of that in the professional environment now moving forward i wanted to talk about you not as founder of inside our image which people can listen to in episode four but now that you are an author i wanted to ask you some questions about that 
that I found quite intriguing. And so there are lots of people who dream of taking sort of their business knowledge and experience into a book. Well, I didn't dream, I can tell you. I felt like I was pushed into it. (laughs) It's a nice idea, and I get many people do dream, but yeah. I'm glad I've done it, but it was definitely through external influence, I would say. Okay, I won't say any more about that. I'll I'll be discreet and move along. But what were <laughs> what were the challenging bits? Yeah, the challenging bits. Getting to grips with doing it in the first place, because as I just alluded to, I had lots of clients, other people, oh, have you got a book? And I kept saying no, and sort of people looked a bit surprised. Um, and and it was only really when there was a client of mine who I'd better not name, and he was quite insistent. He's written some books, not all related. He's an accountant, but not all related to his work. So he was encouraging. And then another um, contact, actually, of mine who was writing a book himself and was using the same book coach that I ended up using. She made it sound easy. <laughs> um, he worked with her individually. I chose to join a group, which I think had other benefits because you got ideas from them and there was accountability. Um, so I think. I did find the planning stage until I got to my nice spreadsheet. I did find that quite difficult. How do I harness all this stuff and put it in a logical order that a reader can make sense of? So that was challenging. The writing actually was better than I expected. A piece of advice this uh, colleague of mine who was writing gave me, he said, you never want to sit down to write and not know what you're writing about in that sitting. You don't want to say, right, I've got an hour to write. I spend half an hour Oh, what am I going to write about? And so the plan helped me do that. And I'd get up early in the morning and do it. I'm quite a morning person anyway. Mm. So that was better. I, I think the editing was hard in, in terms of editing it before it even went to the publisher. And then once it went to the publisher, it was hard because you just look at it again and again. And you're looking at their amends. You then find more of your own. And I think I got to the point in summer last year, late summer, I'd read it twice through in a month in detail. And I was like, do you know what? I can't read this again. And the danger is if you start involving other people in that process, you almost risk shaking it up a bit more. So my husband is very good at this stuff. But I, yeah, we'd had some personal issues last year with our family. And so I hadn't asked him to read it early on just because of that. And probably because I knew it changed quite a lot. (laughs) Um, so I did give it to him in the end to sort of, but with a clear brief of just pick out stuff that's really incorrect or unclear, not that's just stylistically, not how you would put it. And that was very helpful. But that was a difficult phase because he'd come back with stuff. I think I gave it to one other person as well. And then I had some people review it from a more testimonial recommendation point of view, mm. less in the detail. So, so that was a tricky balancing act to get that done and then as I said at the beginning picking the cover yeah I felt guilty when the publisher kept sending me set of covers I was like no none of those do it for me I if I hopefully get to see it on a, a table in a bookshop I would not be proud of that cover and that's what I had to say to myself so I did keep going back to them and saying no can we go more in this direction and I'm not terribly creative it's not a strength of mine so I could didn't really give ideas I could just articulate what I didn't like about what they were giving me <laughs> <laughs> it is difficult because that represents you it absolutely it's my brand yeah if you're putting unless you're putting your face on the cover really ultimately mm. 
it's got to be almost like a textbook that basically that people can look at in X amount of years time and it still has the same impact. Mm. It's, it's not as if it looks completely old fashioned and not that it looks so avant-garde. It should be in a museum somewhere. So it's a good balance mm. to that. So birthing this book took a little while and it took a little persuasion. Do you think you'll write another one? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> You're going to come out and uh, play this bit. No, I don't think I will. I, yeah, I, I'm really happy with the book, but writing is not something I love. Uh, I love running workshops, speaking at events. I get a real buzz out of that. I don't get a buzz out of writing. I'm really happy with the result of the book. And I deliberately went broad because what I, I'm a bit of a completed finisher. What I didn't want was I went narrow. So into networking or building a professional profile or something. And then I felt like I had to have a whole series of books. Oh, okay. I get it. So I, so I deliberately went broad thinking that then I've covered, I mean, that, you know, you still think of other stuff. I still now think, Oh yeah, I should have put that in the book. That's always going to happen. But I've, I've got a broad book there that will help people take tangible action on their career rather than going in depth that might be really, you know, useful to some people, but fewer people. So. I don't think I will. It takes an awful lot of time. Um, you don't make money out of books, that, and that's fine. I've learned that from the start. It's essentially uh, getting your expertise out there, getting yourself more widely known. Like, I'd very much doubt I'd do another one. <laughs> well, fair enough. I think, to be honest with you, as I said in the intro, everybody's got at least one good book in them. Yes, and I would rather do one I'm really happy with than end up with five and there was someone I met up with a while ago and that person had written a few and I got the sense that he was pleased with the first one, but then the others were a bit, maybe mm. not. And I, it, it takes so much effort and work. And again, it's your brand. So you don't want to have stuff out there that's doesn't represent you how you want to be represented. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. About that. Indeed. I think it's very difficult to, to constantly maintain that if you're doing books on a regular basis, I think it can be tricky. Yes, delivering quality work is really important to me. And last year was a real balancing act. You know, my business grew a lot, which was wonderful. Excellent. Didn't have any unhappy clients. That that's the main thing for me because delivering great work is vital. But we had lots on. I said to you earlier, we moved house. We're renovating our house at the moment. We had some personal stuff happen in our family, so it was all a lot going on, um, and that's not sustainable. I don't think long term to have lots of things going on. So I think this year is putting my book out there into people's hands who it can help focusing on delivering client work and making sure my house is done in a way that I'm going to like for the next 20 years. <laughs> that That is one of the most important things. So at the end of the day, you can just <laughs> casually leave your book on the table when people come over. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, I, I've had a lot of support from my uh, friends, family and business contacts, which has been really lovely. Excellent. So we've had a great discussion about your book and what it is and what it's about. The last thing that we have to then share with everybody is where can people get your book? So you can get my book anywhere, actually. It's, of course, available on Amazon, but I know some people try to avoid Amazon if they possibly can. Any bookshop can order it in for you. Um, one of my tasks now with post-Christmas is to try and get it physically on the shelves so it's just there. But you can, if you go on the Waterstones website, it's there. All the other bookshops, any bookshop in the world will be able to order it in. So if you're in the US, Australia, wherever. Uh, also, if you want, if you're in the UK and you want a signed copy, 
Uh, you can order it from my website. I have got a stack of them at my house and I will very happily sign it for you and uh, send it in the post if that's what you would like, if you know me and you prefer that. So lots of options, really, anywhere you want to get it from. Well, when I see you at a next networking event, I'll be waving a copy of your book and, go, I'll and, sign it for you. <laughs> and gushing like a fan um, in order to draw a bit of publicity going. <laughs> Thank you, Clayton. I will happily sign it for you. I think uh, quite a few of my contacts got it from another route and I'll be doing a lot of that, I think, signing it retrospectively. Well, what can I say? Joanna Godoyne, author of Getting On, Making Work Work. Thank you for joining us on the Cashflow Show. My great pleasure, Clayton. Thank you for having me and look forward to seeing you soon. Most definitely and every success with your book. Thank you so much. We've come to the end of the Cashflow Show for today, but I would like to say thank you to our guests for taking the time to share their knowledge, wisdom and insight. If you loved what you've heard on this week's episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts and leave a five-star review and feedback as it really does help. Whilst you're there, listen to some of our other episodes, which you are bound to enjoy. We want to make this the go-to podcast for entrepreneurs wherever they are in the world and spreading the word really is the best way to grow our show and our community to achieve greater things. Be sure to join us next time for real people, real business, real talk.